Welcome to the Personal Finance Podcast Show with me, content editor, Ruan Uester. This is our third episode since our launch at the beginning of September and our monthly feature covering pensions, whether product, policy, or platform, and which we here at Personal Finance officially dubbed the pension plane, where we break down all time to forms, paperwork forms, and red tab rigmarole into digestible portions for the average Joe, the man on the street, and the layman like me. South Africa uses a two-tier pension fund system. People who reach retirement must either rely on a private fund, which they contributed to themselves, or rely on the state's old old age grant, which is currently less than 2,000 Rand a month. Having a private pension or paying premiums to some form of saving scheme or risk cover is not mandatory. Some funds are set up by employers and both employers and employees make contributions, which self-employed people can make contributions to a retirement annuity or build up a cash kitty in the money markets. Even the industrial bargaining councils have some kind of arrangement when they and their members' employees meet. My guest today is Voter Free, who is a certified financial planner and a CEO of Ascore Independent Wealth Managers one of the first multidisciplinary practices in South Africa. Free is also the author, co-author of the best-selling book, The Ultimate Guide to Retirement in South Africa, with my former colleague, Bruce Cameron. A book that will see its third print run, if I, if I have it correctly, later this year, when some of the pension policies in the pipeline become official. Welcome, Bota. Ron, good, good morning, and thank you for the opportunity to share. So National Treasury has a proposal to give limited access to retirement fund savings before retirement via the two-part system. And, and it's generated much interest across the, the industry. The impact of the system will be felt in the long term, I'm sure, and there's still much to be clarified before the system is implemented. Perhaps you can just kind of clarify what they are, what their intentions are. Yes, Ron, this is um, something that we've been expecting for a long time. There's a lot of changes in the retirement um, industry. We call it the retirement reform. And as you mentioned, the current system, the two-tier system, um, there's a lot of problems and a lot of concerns with the current system. And the new proposed system um, wants to address those um, problems that we've identified. So the current system's got two primary concerns. The first is the lack of preservation before retirement. And that has been highlighted by previous discussions paper for government. And the current situation is that if people leave their current employer, they've got the right to cash in their pension funds and provident funds. And that is a big concern if you need to build your funds to retirement. So the preservation is one of the issues that's addressed with the new proposed system. The second is also the situation where we found ourselves in COVID, COVID-19 pandemic, where some households went into financial distress, although they had lots of funds available in their retirement funds, and they couldn't access that, even in the worst cases and the most drastic um, emergencies, they couldn't access that. And that is a proposal from government to set up what they call a two-pot retirement system. Now, we saw on the 15th of December uh, 2021, last year, government published a discussion document that was entitled Encouraging South Africans to Save More for Retirement, and which proposes then the new retirement fund regime um, that aims to address both the concerns that I mentioned, and it's called the two-pot system for retirement. And if I can 
give you some more details about this two-pot system. There's going to be two pots, and yes, they refer to that as two pots in legislation as well. So there's going to be a savings pot and there's going to be a retirement pot. The finance minister confirmed that the draft legislation would be published sometime this year, setting out the amendments to the legislation and all um, all the terms and conditions. Has the draft legislation been issued? We have seen some draft legislation coming through, but the final legislation has not been issued yet. We're actually waiting for that. And as you mentioned, we were also planning on releasing an update on our current book, The Ultimate Guide to Retirement. We actually postponed it until next year to make sure that we actually take um, notice of the current legislation and the current changes. Currently, the target date for implementing the changes is the 1st of March next year. So there's a lot of pressure and we're waiting for government to release the final documentation. So the system aims to find the right balance to help members save for retirement while allowing some flexibility for short-term emergencies. Is it as easy as me to go to my retirement fund and say, I want my, my that pot, the pot I can have, tomorrow, or is there a process that needs to be followed? Or do you have to have certain qualifying um, factors that are being taken into account? Okay, so important from the 1st of March 2023, there's going to be two pots that you invest your money in when you save for retirement. The first one is called the savings pot, and the second one is the retirement pot. The savings pot will allow you to withdraw or make a once-off withdrawal in any 12-month period out of that savings pot. So you can access that money at any time with the limitation that you're only allowed to withdraw once in 12 months. And also the amount that you can withdraw is the full amount. So if you've saved into that savings pot for five years, you're allowed to withdraw the full amount um, when you want to access it, but you can't withdraw again within the next 12-month period. And again, it's important to note it's 12-month period. It's not the tax year. So you can't withdraw at the end of the tax year and the beginning of the next tax year again. So it's a specific 12-month um, requirement that they've set in. Currently, either they do make mention that the minimum amount of withdrawal would be about 2,000 rand. Um, but again, this provides the individual access to the, the money if they need it in the then dire straits and there's emergency to need to, to draw from it. Of course, it's not the ideal thing to draw from your pension money before retirement, but this is a big change in legislation and actually gives us the opportunity to access money if you need it in an emergency. What was the motive behind this? Because this is quite a this is quite a big change in, in legislation and the way we've been doing things for a very long time. Was it just COVID? Or um, is it because people don't actually have cash lying around in money markets or in the bank anymore? Yeah, again, I think, as I mentioned, there's two reasons. One is that people don't preserve their money for retirement. And what happened previously is that people would resign and then they would cash in their pensions and withdraw the full amount. Now, the new requirement is that the portion that goes into the pension pot cannot be accessed before retirement. So it actually protects yourself from yourself that you don't withdraw it, but it also now gives you the ability to draw from the one-third, the savings pot, before retirement. So, in fact, what they're trying to do, and it's also part of the discussion document that was released, it was mentioned in the discussion document that they're trying to encourage the Africans to save more for retirement. Now, how does it make sense that you save more if you're allowed to withdraw from your money? I think the savings portion is the fact that you can't touch the pension pot 
And previously, as I mentioned, if you retire, if you resign, you can actually take the full amount. So the two thirds of your pension will be protected until retirement. The one third that goes into the savings box actually gives you access to some funding in cases of emergency. Vajra, is this just applicable to private pension funds, or um, uh, and, and what only pension funds? Do preservation funds fall into this um, 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 two-part system, and, and and provident funds as well? So. Interesting, as I mentioned, there's a new two-pot system, but in fact, there's actually three pots. And the third pot is the vesting pot. And that is all the funds that was built up in your pension funds, your provident funds, and your retirement funds until the new legislation kicks into play. So that is until the 28th of Feb 2023, all the money invested in your pension funds, your provident funds, and retirement funds will be um, your retirement annuity funds will be in what they call the vested fund. And the current legislation that's in place will still be applicable to that portion of your pension fund. So there's going to be rules up until the end of 28 February next year on the old system, and then there will be rules on the new system entering the 1st of March 2023. The old system is called the vested pot. The new system will have the savings pot and retirement pot to try and clarify that for the listeners. Again, I'm asking, is this only for private funds? Because I'm thinking about the GEPF, the Government Employment Pension Fund, which is the biggest uh, pension fund in Africa. But it's also a defined benefit fund, which is underwritten by the state. Will that be applied differently or would they be excluded? Is there any kind of like fine print that we need to know about? At the moment, this is applicable to private pension funds. The Government Employees Pension Fund is not specifically mentioned in this document that I can recall immediately. But if I apply my mind to the Government Employees Pension Fund, as you said, it's a defined benefit fund. So there's different rules that apply to the defined benefit fund. Although there are a portion that is a cash gratification that you do receive um, currently at the Government Employees Pension Fund, and I'm sure that's going to be part of the savings spot that they would bring into the new legislation, that you would actually be able to, to access that portion of it, but not the pension part. And again, if you access a portion of that savings pot, it will have effect on defined benefit calculation going forward. The details of that is still lacking, but we hope that we will get more clarification going forward. A defined benefit fund. Maybe you can just tell our listeners what, what that is and how it differ, differs from a, a defined contribution fund. So for many years, most employers had what they called a defined benefit fund. So you made a contribution towards your pension fund. That money was then invested in a pension fund um, in conjunction with your employer, and they guaranteed you a specific retirement income for the rest of your life. No matter how old you got, you had a specific um, income that came to you. There was numerous problems with that, um, wrong investment decisions by pension funds, etc. And most companies changed from the defined benefit to a defined contribution fund. Now, confined contribution fund is where you contribute a specific amount per month. And at the end of the day, when you retire, you actually have the choice then to invest the money according to your own needs. And that's what's the difference between the two. The one is a, a fixed guarantee income for the rest of your life. The other one is not. There you take the responsibility to invest the money yourself and you then decide on the drawdowns in, in, in the long term. 
the, the, the better one would be a defined benefit um, where you don't take any risk. But as I mentioned, there were too many problems, too many employers making wrong decisions. And at the end of the day, it was actually better to move into a defined contribution system, which we currently find ourselves. And there are still a few funds, as you mentioned, the Government Employees Pension Fund is still a defined benefit fund where you know exactly what you're going to get for the rest of your life in terms of income. So um, with all these um, uh, pension fund reforms that's going on, the talks, the discussion papers, um, has it kind of come up that um, they will change um, their structure? Or Because, you know, it is, it's the global norm to go to defined contributions. You know, it's old-fashioned so, um, the defined benefit funds. So has there been any talk about that? I haven't seen anything that came through in terms of the company employees pension fund changing from a defined um, benefit to a defined contribution. And I do think that they'll find a lot of um, people opposing that that proposal. Mm. Um, as I mentioned, you take away the guaranteed income and you move the responsibility over to the individual to make the, the choices. And I think currently, um, as a government employee, I would also be more... Um, concerned about the fact if they move it away from a defined benefit to a defined contribution. And I, it, before that happens, Ron, I think there will be a lot of um, media publication and also opportunities for people to give their feedback on it. So at the moment, I don't read anything about that. Okay. And um, I don't think that's on the table at the moment. Let's talk about tax and the two-part system or the three-part system, as you mentioned. If you withdraw the cash portion, would you be taxed on it? Yes. We do find ourselves in a world that tax is relevant to everything that we do. So, um, again, the Income Tax Act makes provision for the amount that's withdrawal from your... So, let me take you one step back. So, currently, if you withdraw from your pension funds, there's what they call a, a lump sum withdrawal benefit. Um, if you um, wait until retirement and you withdraw your money, there's a 500,000 rand that you can receive tax-free. Um, and then if you do a lump sum withdrawal before retirement, you only get a 25,000 rand lump sum tax-free. With the new proposed system, if you withdraw any money from your savings pot, that would not be seen as a withdrawal, but it will be seen as an income. So it will be included in your taxable income on a monthly basis. So your tax rates, if you withdraw from the savings pot, would be higher than if you just postpone it until retirement and you withdraw in terms of the lump sum. So that's one of the negative sides of it. Yes, you would be able to access the money in terms of um, emergency situations, but it's not tax beneficial to do it. It's going to get it's, it will be taxed at a higher rate than if you postpone it until retirement. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Currently, three hundred thousand rand is exempt from tax when you um, if you would move from one job to another and take out a little portion from your pension fund, right? No, that is seen as a withdrawal, and only 25000 would be tax-free. Okay. How would that change under the three-part system? Two under the three-part system, you won't qualify for the 25000 rand tax-free, and you won't be taxed in terms of the tier scales that's applicable to the withdrawal. So um, if you... If you retire currently, if you um, not retire, if you resign from your employer, you withdraw your, your money, then you're taxed, not taxed on the first 25000 but you're taxed on the... 25 to 600,000 at the rate of 18%, then from 660 to 990 at the rate of 27%, and above 990,000 at a rate of 36%. So that's what we call a tiered scale, and that's the current legislation. 
if you withdraw from it in terms of the new two-part system, you would not be taxed on that scale, but you would be taxed on your average rate, which could be a lot higher than the tiered um, scale. So it's not beneficial to do it in terms of tax planning. Currently, we have a tax incentive if you, your monthly contributions to a pension fund or to a, a, a provident fund. I'm not sure. Oh, and, ret- and retirement annuities as well. Great. Well, is that incentive now going to be scrapped? No. No, not at all. It's it's still in place and the percentages are exactly as it is at the moment. And just to remind the, the listeners, if you contribute towards your retirement fund, your provident fund or your retirement annuity, you qualify for a tax deduction and that amount is 27.5% of your taxable income limited to a maximum of 350000 per year. Now, again, that is a massive benefit if you save for retirement. So to put this in simple terms, so the government actually incentivizes us to save for our retirement. So if you contribute one rand to your retirement fund, that full one rand is tax deductible. And let's say, for example, your tax rate is 30%. Then it means that you get back 30 cents for each rand that you contribute towards your retirement. So in fact, you get you get a, a investment of one rand, but it's only costing you 70 cents. It's a massive benefit that we get. But again, that benefit only lasts until retirement because when you retire and you take a lump sum, there is um, tax applicable to that. And as I mentioned, the first 500,000 of that is tax-free. Again, that makes a lot of sense. You get the tax deduction and when you take the money one day, you also don't pay tax on it on the first 500,000. Also, another benefit is we must remember that when you contribute towards a pension fund a provider fund or retirement annuity, the funds within that portfolio is not taxed in terms of the current tax legislation. So your growth in your portfolio, in your retirement funds, is in fact tax-free until the day you, re- you, you withdraw from it. Now, again, how does it make sense if I say, yes, it's tax-free, but when you, when you withdraw from it, you're going to be taxed? Reality is when you're working at the moment, your tax rate is much higher than what your tax rate is going to be when you retire. So at the moment, you get the benefit of 30, 30% that you can deduct from your tax. And when you go into retirement, you withdraw less from your fund, you might sit with a tax rate of only 20%. So immediately, you've got a 10% growth in your portfolio that benefits you because you've been contributing towards your own retirement. It's a great incentive. And luckily, that stays in place with the new legislation coming into play. Rosa, let's just be realistic for a second here. With Regulation 28 and the JSE kind of being flat for a very long time and limits for offshore um, investments, um, would I not rather just cut my contribution to my pension fund and just put cash in the money market? The interest rates are going up. Um, I will actually earn money and I'll have cash access and I won't be taxed on it. So, Ron, I think that's a big mistake mistake a lot of people make is just to look at the one side of it. As I mentioned, if you contribute towards your retirement annuities, you get that tax benefit as well. So it's a massive saving in terms of growth, et cetera. The Regulation 820 requirements is it actually limits you in terms of the offshore um, exposure that you can have in your pension funds. But if you look at the JSC and now the JSC is set up, most of our big companies in the JSC are already actually international funds, earning most of their income and their earnings offshore. So yes, it's a limitation, but I don't think it's such a limitation that it should stop you from contributing towards your retirement funds. And the fact is a lot of people say that they're going to do 
um, they're going to save differently for the retirement, but they actually don't. So the retirement funds and the pension, the re your provident fund, your retirement annuities actually gives you opportunity to be a disciplined um, investor. It makes sure that you, that you contribute money towards retirement. And when you get to retirement, you've actually got funds to live from. A lot of people say that they're going to do their own thing and they're going to invest in ETFs and et cetera. It, in most cases, it doesn't happen and people run out of capital when they get into retirement. So pension funds gives us a disciplined way of saving for retirement. There's a massive tax benefit in doing it. And again, you're not really limited in terms of your choice of investments. There's a big opportunity to, to, to make sure that you have a comfortable savings um, platform when you retire one day. Mojo, umbrella funds um, is quite the buzzword. Um, the fi Financial Services Conduct Authority is a huge fan. They say it cuts costs and, and, and they're trying to kind of uh, incentivize people to go into umbrella funds. How would it work if there's one umbrella fund who has many employers, many from different places? How would you manage a two-part system when it's actually not a standalone fund for a specific company or a specific person? Okay, so to clarify umbrella system, it's not a rainy days fund or something. Um, it's actually just a word that they use to show that a lot of funds are captured into one fund. So the, the options available is if you're a big company, you can set up your own retirement fund and you manage your own retirement fund, you appoint your own trustees, you appoint your own auditors, and you also appoint your own analysts who actually analyze the different funds that you invest in. If you're a smaller company, it's actually very difficult to do that. And that's where the umbrella funds come into play, where they take more than one company and they put them into one pension fund structure. They do allow the individuals internally to have choices in terms of what they invest in. So it's not a question that you've pushed into a specific format. It actually just gives a format that saves a lot of costs. So you don't have to appoint so many trustees and so many analysts and et cetera. You can actually minimize that. It also brings down the audit fees in, in, in the process. So the umbrella funds is a very cost-effective way of doing it. And for years, individual investing in an umbrella fund gives you the benefit of lower costs. Lower costs means there's more ben um, um, contributions that you, that you get to your retirement funds, and it actually benefits you in, in that process. So the umbrella funds is a way of providing a pension fund at a low cost, and it actually protects the, the, the individuals out there in terms of, of, of long-term. Ron, your, your question again. Sorry, I just got off the track there for a sec. No worries. <laughs> what would you advise people like me who's a freelance or a contract worker who doesn't have a pension fund um, with an employer, but, you know, they do, like, contribute to an RA a little bit, but they can only do so much. You know, the cost of living is going up. How... Would they? What would advice would you give people like that to, to actually structure or save more or actually be part of this two-part system and have a, a little cash portion for a rainy day? So the old saying of you've got to pay yourself first is very important. Um, and being able to pay yourself first is to be a disciplined um, individual in terms of budgeting. So you've got to budget and, and make sure that in your budget, you set aside enough money for your pension. Now, how much is enough? Now, there's a lot of books and a lot of articles. There's actually a full chapter in our book that we discuss that, that specific topic. But you've got to make sure that you pay yourself first. And payment, paying yourself first is to contribute towards your retirement funds, your pension fund, or your retirement annuity fund. Make use of that full deduction of the 27.5% of the remuneration. 
and try and get to that stage. Now, it's easy to say that, voters. Yes, it's contribute 27.5% 20 of my income, but that's just such a big number to get to. How do you get to it? Little by little. So be disciplined. Even if you start working today, try and set aside at least 15% of your income for your retirement and try and increase that contribution by 1% per year. So if you receive a salary increase of 4%, take 1% of it and put that into your retirement fund. And, in, and you'll see how quickly you build up to a portion where you sit with 25, 26, 27% of your income going towards your, your pension funding. And again, as I mentioned, remember, this is paying yourself. It's not paying anybody else. It's looking after yourself when you, when you get to um, retirement age. Let's talk about prescribed preservation, which for many companies or for, for government employees, that's the thing. It's prescribed. That's the set thing. You have to do it. You have no choice. But debt is not always included in the calculation. And we, we, have, we are a very highly indebted society, are we not, voters? So people would like actually cash in their pensions to pay off their debt. Do you think that we should actually start talking about indebtedness together with retirement planning? Because you know what? You buy a house, you've got a mortgage, right? You buy a new mm. car, you've got a loan. So you have to pay that. It's not necessarily an investment, but it is what it is. How are we going to how are we, how are we going to do those things? Plan those two things together. Pay off your debt, but you have to save as well. Should I not just cash in my pension and pay off my bond? No, you shouldn't. That's a short answer. So when you talk about debt and prescribed, so it's actually two different things. So prescribed is where you are employed by a company, and in terms of your employment contract you are obliged to contribute a specific portion to your pension fund. And in most cases, your company actually matches that. So that's the first place where you lose out. If you don't do that contribution, you lose out on the matching amount of your employer. So long-term, you actually don't benefit with reducing that. The next thing is to talk about debt. So how do we approach debt? So remember, there's good debt and there's bad debt. And unfortunately, bad debt is what ruined people's life. Now, what's the difference between good debt and bad debt? Good debt is debt like um, a mortgage on a house. So you've got a bond on a house. It's an asset that you, that you um, incur debt on purchasing, and that asset grows in value. Bad debt is your credit card debt. It's your spending debt. It's when you stand in the queue at the shops and you see this, the nice pair of shoes and you decide it's such a bargain, you're actually saving money on buying it. That is bad debt. And also, how do you distinguish between the two? Your good debt is usually difficult to obtain. So if you apply for a house bond, there's a lot of requirements that you need to adhere to, where bad debt is debt that's easily obtainable. That's when they phone you and tell you you've just qualified for, for, for credits. And they usually call it credit. They don't call it debt because debt sounds bad and credit sounds good. So that's the two um, distinctions that you need to make. And how do you bring that into pension funds? Again, try not to use your pension money to pay off debt. You need to be able to structure your income that it addresses the debt. So if you don't, if you're not in a position to afford your debt, it means you've got too much debt. And there it's, it's helpful to, to go to professionals to help you to set up your budget to make sure that you, that you actually cover your debt. Also to negotiate better repayment terms with your creditors going forward. And yes, we are in a cycle where we see that interest rates are going to be lifted 
within the next few months again. There's a lot of inflation pressure. We know the central banks will increase the interest rates and debt is going to be a problem going forward. Now, with the current legislation in terms of the pension funds, if you run into that emergency, you can't, you can't do anything. But with the new savings pot that they are promoting, you would actually have access to some of your funding to address those shortfall debts. But again, Ron, it's important that if you pay off your debt, do not incur extra debts. And that's where people need to be disciplined. So it's easy to say, yes, I'm going to draw my money from my pension funds to pay off debt. But in most people, people, most cases, people fall in the trap that they actually incur debt again and they're back to where they started off. Barata, would you advise somebody that is highly indebted to rather pay the debt off before uh, and maybe cut down on his savings per month? Or should you stick to your plan? I would stick to my plan as far as possible. But again, if your creditors are knocking at your door and your phone keeps on ringing, it's very difficult to ignore them. And I think what's important is, again, to have the conversation with your creditors to see if you can't restructure your debt. And I also know that there's debt counselors that can assist you with that to um, decrease your payment of your debt. Again, it's um, if you contribute towards your retirement funds, the tax saving that you get is much better than the debt relief that you get when you, when you settle it. Um, it's a calculation that you can do with your accountant, your financial planner. But again, I would strongly advise stick to your plan and try and negotiate your debts and see how you can and make a plan to pay less on a monthly basis. You can always go and restructure your debt as well. A lot of um, banks would assist you to restructure two or three credit cards into one uh, repayment system and bring down your, your monthly payment so that you can still afford your normal living costs. But do not um, skimp on contributing towards your retirement funds. First and last question. So we've got the two-part system. One's the cash kitty, one is the, lo the, long, the long game. What are the pension funds um, a bit worried about people have a cash run and they have they that influence the the, the the solvency ratios and um, <clears throat> because you know if, if a lot of people do that you know there's less cash for pension funds to be as strong as they should be. I think the new proposed system. When I looked at first, I also thought, no, what are you guys doing? This is not the right thing to do. But. If you look at the detail of the legislation, it actually makes a lot of sense. And again, the, the, the purpose is to encourage people to save more for retirement. So what they've done with legislation, they've actually protected the portion, the retirement pot. Although you can access the savings pot, the one third that you contribute goes into your savings pot, that you can access. But the two thirds that goes into retirement pot cannot be accessed until retirement. Where at the moment, people do access it by resigning from their companies and then cashing in their pension fund to pay off debt or whatever they want to do. So I think long-term, pension funds and the companies aren't concerned about it. In fact, I think that we're going to have a much stronger pension fund going forward because of the savings, the, the fact that people are preserving their pensions, they're not taking cashing it in when they resign. And I think that's going to be a big benefit going forward. Again, if you have the option and you know that you can access a portion of your your pension fund before retirement and you benefit by contributing and getting the tax benefit, I think that's going to be a good um, positive to encourage people to save for pension going forward. I'm just looking here on the FECA, uh, FECA website, 174 pension funds under curatorship. What happens to these funds um, if, if these new rules come into play? They won't be able to do this. 
Okay, so remember the, the rule is relevant to new contributions. So from the, from the 1st of March, 2023, there's actually a new pension fund that you can, um, and it won't be affected by the vested pension funds. So any fund that's under creatorship will still be under creatorship. And also new contributions will go into the new two-part system. The green paper that was released last year, um, which was retracted by the Department of Social Welfare, um, has there been any talk about a, a, a state social security fund? And would it have anything to do with this two-part system? Not, it, it won't influence the two-part system. And I think there's still a lot of discussions about a social um, grant system going forward. Um, the reality is, I think our economy is under massive pressure at the moment. There's a lot of people finding it very hard. There's a lot of hardship around. And I think that's government's way of approaching that specific need. It won't be affected by the two-part system. Again, the two-part system is, is a pension fund um, legislation, and that will be addressed totally separate from anything else. So if you had to guess, you think this would be implemented in the next year or so? At the moment, the target is for the 1st of March, 2023. Um, all the role players have been informed about it. Um, the big challenge for the companies, the pension fund companies, is they've got to make sure that their software and their systems will be able to address this. So they've been hard at work trying to get everything in play. And as I've mentioned, the target date is the 1st of March, 2023. So without any other comments or um publications, we still think that that would be the effective date going in. You mentioned a few other changes in the retirement reform space. What else is in the pipeline? I think the big one was this, the two-part system, and also to understand how it will operate between the savings pot, the retirement pot, and the vested pot. Um, the Regulation 28, we saw a lot of changes coming into play there. And then also the... Um, the transferability of these pension funds. How do you transfer the, the vested pot? How do you transfer the savings pot? How do you transfer the retirement pot? And also just to try and understand all the tax implications of this. This was something that we took into account when we postponed the release of the new version of our book, The Ultimate Guide to Retirement. I assume all these decisions will be made with the board of trustees of every, of That's every great. pension fund, That's right? Great. All right. So I, I, a person will have to apply to the board of trustees when they want to um, extract any money from, from the cash pot. Okay? And they, can they be denied access? They can only be denied if the withdrawal is more than what's available in the savings pot or if they try and access money within that 12-month period. All right. That was a great conversation. Now I also understand what's going on. Good. Thank you very much, Voter. Um, it's always a pleasure speaking to you. This is the Personal Finance Podcast Show with me, Ruan Uester. We will see you next week and we are available on all the major platforms, Apple, Google, and Spotify. Keep in touch with Personal Finance at inl.co.za. Thank you.